0: Today we're reading from Yourself and Your House Wonderful by H.A. Gerber. How to Air Your House When we talked of the front door in the beginning of this book, we said that air could easily come into the house through the mouth and that there was an air tube or stairway running down into the body just in front of the food tube or stairway. It is about this air, or windpipe as it is also called, that you are going to learn today. All houses need a great deal of nice fresh air. Ordinary houses can be kept full of pure air, or well ventilated as it is called, if all the windows are opened wide every morning, and if some of them are left partly open during the rest of the time in the rooms where people sit or sleep. But your body needs fresh air every second almost. If you stopped breathing for more than a minute, you would feel very uncomfortable indeed. And if no new air came in at all into your little house for about five minutes, you would have to move out and all your body would surely die. Because you need air while you are eating, it is not always possible to breathe through the mouth. A a way, therefore, was provided that you need never fall short of your air supply. This way is through the nose. The nose is really the chimney of your little house. If all is well, the two nostrils, air passages, or pipes in your nose are always wide open. The air from outside rushes into these narrow passages, which open down into your throat. The air on coming into these passages is warmed a little, and as it passes through the fine hairs growing inside of the nostrils, all the bits of dust and little shreds of cotton and down are caught fast and are not allowed to go down into the body. They are not wanted there and would do much mischief, so the little hairs are always on guard to prevent their going down. The air also passes over wet cushions, all covered with fine skin. Under this skin runs many, many little nerves. They keep close watch over every breath of air that comes in, and telegraph up to the big central station in the top of the head, reporting just how this air feels to them. Because these tiny nerves enable people to smell, they're very useful indeed. Any air which smells bad is sure not to be good for the body. If the air smells fresh and clean, it is just right. Strongly perfumed air, even when we like the odor, is not good for us. Some people may be strong enough to bear it without great discomfort, yet strong smells of any kind are very likely to make babies or sickly people very ill. When the air has been sifted by the fine hairs and tried by passing over the moist cushions in the nostrils, it is allowed to turn down into the back of the mouth and rush down the throat or windpipe. That always stands wide open, except when food has to pass over it on its way to the food staircase. Then, as you know, the little doorkeeper at the head of the windpipe shuts his trapdoor, for nothing but air is wanted down in the windpipe. Sometimes, when people talk or laugh while they are eating, or when they are not careful, both air and food try to get downstairs at the same time. This always makes trouble, for if the little trap door is not tightly closed when food passes over it, a few crumbs are likely to tumble down into the windpipe. When this happens, there is a big fuss down there. The gatekeeper is frightened, for he knows that if any food gets down into the breathing room, the lungs or bellows of the body won't be able to use it or get rid of it, and that will make them so sore and uncomfortable that they may stop work entirely. He therefore quickly sends a telegram down the windpipe, which is all lined with hundreds of little fans or whips. As soon as news is received that something is gumming down that is not wanted there, all these little fans or whips begin to fan or whip upward. The crumb or dust is therefore caught on its way downward and fanned or batted upstairs again. But all this causes such a to-do in the windpipe that you hear a noise like coughing or choking. This is kept up till the stray bit of food or dust has been driven right out of the windpipe again. Very little children, who are too small to understand that all of you have learned about the air and food pipes, often talk or laugh while they are eating. Then they choke. In their distress, they generally double up and bend over forward while they are coughing. This is not best for them, because the straighter the windpipe is kept, the quicker the little fans or whips can bat the crumbs and dust out again. Grown people, therefore, often point quickly up at the ceiling, saying, Oh, look at the little bird! Most children are so eager to see a bird, that although they may be coughing very hard, they quickly tip their heads back to look up. This is the very best thing that can happen, for the crumb and dust can then fly right up, and the coughing stops. It is only when looking up won't answer that one should slap a choking child on the back. Then a pretty hard thump will help to drive the stuff up again. But as children do not understand why you slap them, this always seems rather an unkind way to end the trouble. You may think it is very wrong to say, "'See the bird up there?' when you know perfectly well that there is no bird near the ceiling at all. But in a case like this, you are merely fooling the child for a minute for his own good. Most children too small to understand why you made them look up will be quite satisfied if you say, "'Oh, can't you see any bird?' "'I don't see any either, so perhaps it has gone away.'" When they are a little older, they will understand that it was not really a lie you told, and they will be glad to make use of the simple plan to save some other poor tot from the pain, which a bad choking fit often causes. When I was too small to understand about the food pipe and the windpipe, my papa used to help me by making me look up for the little bird, and when I asked why I coughed so hard, he used to say in fun, if it happened on a weekday, perhaps it was a mistake and you tried to swallow down your Sunday throat. If it happened on a Sunday, he always said, hello, why do you try to use your weekday throat on Sunday? This always made me laugh and thus kept me from crying. But just as soon as I grew big enough to understand, I was told all about the pipes and learned that the Sunday and weekday throat story was only a bit of nice fun and nonsense. In the place in your throat where you can feel a lump, there is a kind of box. All across this box are stretched elastic cords called muscles. We will make believe that a speaking dwarf lives in this box and pulls these muscles apart to let the air in. Then he draws them more or less shut when the air comes out. If the master has nothing to say, the dwarf leaves the muscles open so air can pass in and out freely. But if the master wants to talk, the dwarf quickly places the muscles in such a way that the air shakes them more or less hard. Now, those muscles are very like an elastic band, which you twang when it is tightly stretched. You know that such bands give forth different sounds according to the way in which they are stretched. The speaking dwarf is so clever that he knows exactly how to handle these muscles or bands so as to give the kinds of sounds his master wishes. If the air which comes down into the speaking box is very cold or damp, it is bad for these delicate muscles. It often makes them so sore that they get red and swollen. When such a thing happens, the speaking dwarf can no longer make them give out nice, clear sounds. And then people often say, how very hoarse that child is. Why, she must have a sore throat. If you want to save trouble and stay well, you should always keep your mouth shut and breathe only through your nose. Then no dust, no food, no damp or cold air can get down into your speaking box to make the muscles sore. But if you cannot breathe easily through your nose, you really ought to see a doctor. He will find out what is wrong and perhaps he can set it right. After speaking through the speaking box, the air goes still further down the tube. Near the bone, which you can feel across the top of your chest, and which is called the collarbone, this tube divides into two branches, both of which lead down into the lungs, which are fine bellows. The lungs, or lights as the butcher calls them, are two big lumps of pink, sponge-like flesh. They fill up all the space inside the chest, which is not taken up by the heart or by the tubes, which we have already talked about. You have surely seen how a dry sponge can suck up water and swell out bigger and bigger the more water it holds. Well, the lungs act very much in the same way. Only they suck up air. When you draw as long a breath as you can, your lungs suck up so much air and swell out so big that your chest is not large enough to hold them and has to widen out as far as it can. Whenever your chest spreads out in that way, some bones, called ribs, which you can feel, rise up a little to give more room. A big band of muscle, which divides the chest into an upper and lower story and stretches between the heart and lungs above and stomach and liver beneath, flattens out when you draw a long breath. Of course, that helps to make more space for the lungs, but at the same time, it crowds the stomach, liver, and bowels further downward. Then the skin over the abdomen or belly has to stretch a little so as to make room enough for them. If your clothes are as loose as they should be, you can easily feel your chest and sides swell out whenever you draw in just as much air as you can hold. If you want to have a fine broad chest so that you can sing, speak, walk, and run well and easily, it is a good plan to take as many long breaths as you can whenever you're sure the air is good and pure a person who breathes nothing but pure air draws deep breaths as often as possible and who never wears clothes tight enough to prevent the chest and sides from swelling out as much as they please is sure to be very strong and well unless something else is very wrong somewhere in his little house the air which rushes down into the lungs fills every one of the little holes in them All around these small holes, there's a fine network of tiny little tubes. In these little tubes float the blood boats, all laden with bad air and refuse. As they pass along, they cleverly unload all the bad air, get rid of their refuse, and take good air in exchange. They do this so very quickly and neatly that by the time you cannot hold your breath any longer, all the boats then in your lungs are ready to sail back to the heart from where they will begin a new journey. Then, the band of muscle, which had been forced down, springs back again, like an elastic when you let go of it. And as it rises and the ribs sink, the lungs are squeezed so that they can no longer hold all the air in them and blow it upstairs again. As the lungs have been given a large part of the good air to the little blood boats and taken bad air and refuse in exchange, they are very glad to get rid of it in this way. When the bad air in refuse is sent up by the windpipe, all the little whips help to drive it out of the body, through the mouth and nose. We know this air is no longer good and fresh, because if you breathe into a bottle in which a live mouse or bird or other small mammal has been placed, the bad air soon makes them faint, and if they were left in it, they would surely die. All the air we breathe out contains a kind of gas which is bad for us, but which the plants suck up greedily as long as there is any light or sunshine. The plants, you know, are alive too, but while we breathe with our lungs only, they breathe all over, through wee openings in their stems and leaves. They not only eat up the bad air for us, but they give out air good for us. And that way, all plants and animals, for men are animals you know, keep up an exchange as long as they live. Doctors say that every time you take a good long breath, you take in about half a barrel full of good air. So of course, every time you let it out again, you throw out a half a barrel full of bad air. Besides the gas which is bad for you, but good for plants, you throw out a little water every time you breathe, as you can see by breathing against a pane of glass or a mirror. The water you breathe out is like very fine steam. On a cold day, you can see this vapor, but you never notice it when the air out of doors is nearly as warm as your breath. You cannot see the bad gas at any time. You can see the refuse water only sometimes and you cannot see the rest of the waste given off by the lungs because it is much finer than the dust which you see dancing in a sunbeam still you can smell the bad gas and you can feel it if you come from out of doors into a closed room where many people are sitting you will notice right away how bad the air smells and it makes you pant and gasp just as if you had been running If you are sitting in a room where the air becomes bad, you may not notice it by the smell, but your cheeks will soon get red and hot. You will feel sleepy and stupid, and your head will ache. All this is because there is not fresh air enough in the room to keep your blood boats nicely loaded, and because all the servants down below are grumbling hard and giving you a headache so as to call your attention to the fact that something is wrong. You know that your pumping dwarfs cannot go and open a window, or run out of doors when there is plenty of air to be had. But if the master of the house is wise, he looks after his servant's comfort by paying great attention to the kind of air he breathes. He also keeps a window open in his room at night, changes the air in the house often by opening both door and windows wide, and never stays in a place where he feels the air is bad. "'Some people, who do not know about the little blood boats, the big bellows, and the pumping dwarfs, fancy that as long as you can breathe at all, everything is all right. "'They seldom open their windows, and were it not that fresh air will steal in through every crack in the doors, floors, windows, and walls, and that it rushes up and down the chimney, these foolish people would soon contrive to kill themselves.' As it is, they are not nearly as healthy, strong, or happy as they would be if they had plenty of fresh air. Neither can they study or work half as well, or enjoy their play as much. In fact, all doctors will tell you that bad air not only makes people feel badly, but makes them very cross, stupid, and sometimes even wicked. They say that even little children are often fretful and naughty, merely because their poor little bodies do not get enough fresh air. Once upon a time, during a war in India, 146 English prisoners were locked up in a place so very small that there was scarcely room enough for them to stand up in it. They were driven into this room at the sword's point, and then the door was shut tight. It is very hot in India, and as there were only two windows at one end of the room, the captives breathed up all the good air in a very few seconds. Then they all began to pant and gasp, struggled to get near the windows, and tried to break down the strong door, but all in vain. They were kept until morning in this awful place, which was known as the black hole. When the guards opened the door, all but 23 of the poor prisoners had died from lack of air, and those 23 were so weak and ill that they never got perfectly well again. You can see by this true story how very dangerous it is to stay in places where the air cannot be changed often enough. Even if you do not die, like these poor prisoners, you are breathing bad air. The very air your lungs blew out is unfit for use. You would rightly think it horrid if anyone tried to drink dirty water or to eat swill, but it is just as nasty to breathe bad air, even though you cannot see how bad it looks. Now there are many people in this world who are very clean and particular about everything except the air they breathe. Some of these people are afraid to open the windows and change the air because they say they catch cold so easily. But if they open their windows often enough and breathe nothing but fresh air, they would soon grow so much stronger because they would cease to catch cold so easily. They get sick, simply, because the little blood boats cannot get enough air to carry to all the different parts of the body so as to keep them in first-class order. People who breathe the same air over and over again are, besides, running the risk of catching some dreadful disease. For with the air, the lungs blow out tiny seeds or germs of sickness— These are far too small to be seen, and if there were plenty of fresh air in the room, they would rise to the ceiling, float out of the windows, be caught up by the wind, carried high in the air, where the hot sun would soon kill them. If these germs cannot get out of the room, they are apt to be drawn into the lungs of any person who is not well. There, they are sure to grow, and make that person very ill with scarlet fever, diphtheria, or whatever the disease may be. If the person does not catch the disease, it is only because the little blood boats can still manage to carry enough good air to keep the body well. The worst air in any room is always near the ceiling and near the floor, and the best in the space between. That is the reason why it is far wiser never to sleep on the floor or on too low a bed. But if you open your windows top and bottom, all the bad air in the room can escape while fresh air takes its place. Little babies suffer even more from bad air than older children, so if you want your little brothers and sisters to thrive, you should always be willing to take them out whenever Mama wishes. If they are out every nice sunny day, and if the room in which they play or sleep is always well aired, they will be rosy and happy and will be much easier to manage. Of course, babies catch cold very easily and must therefore be carefully carefully guarded from all the draughts, but if the air they breathe is always pure, they are far less likely to take cold. Whenever it is too stormy to take baby out, you should carry him into another room while you open the windows wide. If for any reason you have to stay in one room only, you can wrap Baby up, just as if you were going to take him out, and then throw the windows and door wide open. In a few minutes, the room will be well aired, and if you remove Baby's wraps little by little after all the windows are closed, he will not be chilly, and you will both feel much brighter for the change of air. Very few children, even among the rich, get air enough. And still, air is free to everybody and does not cost a cent. The poorest person who ever lived can have all the air there is, if only willing to take the trouble to get it. If you live in a crowded city, it is not as easy to get fresh air as if you live out in the country. But even in the city, houses have doors and windows, and people can generally go up on the flat roofs. Besides, all who can walk can go out into the parks where the good, pure air can always be found. Sick people need a great deal of fresh air. The more they get, the quicker they are likely to be well again. Still, in some sickness, one has to be very careful not to let the cold air blow in upon the bed, although the patient must have fresh air all the time. To make sure of this, you can either open the window in the next room, keeping the door open between, Or you can tack some thin cloth over an old fly screen, set it in the window frame, and open the window. The air can then sift slowly through the cloth, and you will thus secure enough without hurting even a sick person. There was once a doctor who had a dear little girl. She met with a terrible accident, which hurt her back so badly that she had to sit still all of the time. She could move her hands and arms a little. "'but was unable to go out to drive "'or be rolled around in a chair or carriage "'because the least little jar made her suffer greatly. "'Her father loved her very dearly, "'took the best care of her, "'and gave her everything that love or money could find to please her. "'She had a beautiful room, "'nurses who watched over her night and day, "'and the best food and medicine. "'In spite of all this, "'the poor little maid grew thinner and thinner "'and paler and paler until her father's heart ached.' One day he found her as white as a sheet, and so cross and hard to please, that the nurse said with tears in her eyes, "'What shall I do, sir? Nothing suits her, nothing amuses her, and she cries nearly all the time.'" The father, almost in despair, said, "'Poor little thing! It's because she has been shut up in the house so long. If she could only go out driving, it would be much better, for then she could have plenty of sun and air.'" Looking out of the window while he spoke, the thought suddenly came to him that if his little daughter were carried out into the garden every day, it might yet do her good. So he had a nice little corner fixed up for her, and had her carried her there every fine day. At first, she stayed out only for a couple of hours in the middle of the day, but when her father noticed she always seemed more comfortable, and was less hard to amuse when out of doors than within, he let her stay there all day long. By the end of summer, the color had come back to her cheeks, and she was a very different little girl from the white faced, peevish one I have told you about. But her father was troubled whenever he thought of the coming winter. Finally, he decided to try a new experiment. He had a nice fur coat and ho- hood made for his little daughter. "'bought her fur mittens, and wrapped her up in thick fur rugs. "'Then bottles of hot water were tucked in here and there around her to keep her warm. "'Thus she was able to sit out in the garden even on the coldest winter days. "'With all her books and playthings around her, she was very happy out there. "'And, as it was much too cold for her nurse to sit beside her, "'she told her to run into the house and spent a good part of the time there alone playing by herself. "'Of course, someone was always very nearby.' Ready to come whenever she called, or rang her little silver bell, and her papa always stopped for a little chat with her on his way to and from his carriage, so that she should not feel lonely. The doctor's neighbors, who had been away all summer, and who did not suppose that the poor child would ever be out again, were greatly surprised to see her lying out there in the garden when they looked out of their windows one day in the fall. They were surprised and greatly shocked when they noticed that she was all alone a good part of the time. Soon they began to say it was dreadfully cruel to neglect a poor, sick child in that way, and to leave her outdoors so late in the season. But every fine day the little maid was carried out there, and as it grew colder and colder, the neighbors became more and more indignant. When the first snow began to fall, and no one came to carry her into the house, those neighbors could not stand it any longer, and one of them ran over to the doctor's office crying indignantly, "'How can you treat that poor, helpless child so cruelly?' The doctor gently asked her what she meant, and when she had explained, he smiled and said, "'You saw my little daughter last winter, when we always kept her in a nice warm room and never let a breath of cold air blow upon her. Do you remember how pale and weak she was, how she cried and fretted, how poorly she slept, how little she ate, and how much trouble it was to amuse her or make her smile?' "'Yes, indeed,' said the woman." "'and I admired your patience. "'I used to say you were the kindest father I had ever seen. "'And now, to think of you treating the poor little thing so, "'leaving her out there alone in the snow. "'Well, come out there with me "'and see whether you think I better have her taken in,' "'was all the answer the doctor gave her.' "'They went out together, "'and when the lady drew near enough to see the child plainly, "'she was amazed to perceive a laughing, "'rosy-cheeked, bright-faced little face "'peep out from under those furs.' And to hear a merry little voice cry out, Oh, Papa, it is too lovely for anything to be out in a snowstorm. Just look at all these pretty white stars clinging to my furs. A snowflake fell right into my mouth just a minute ago. And see, I have gathered nearly enough snow to make a ball to throw at you. You did not know I was going to snowball you, did you, Papa? No, indeed. "'And if you do so, perhaps I'll get some snow, too, and wash your face,' said her Papa laughingly. "'But aren't you cold, little daughter, and don't you want to come in?' "'Oh, no, Papa. Please, please let me stay out a little longer. It is such fun. "'Besides, this is nice dry snow. It cannot hurt me one bit, and I am just as warm as toast.' "'A few minutes later, the doctor took the lady back to his office, where he said, "'Well, madam,' "'Do you really think I had better coop that child up in the house again, as I did last winter?' "'No, no, indeed,' cried the lady. "'Why, I never saw such a change in my life. "'And you say the only medicine you have given her is plenty of fresh air and sunshine? "'I declare, I'm going to try that medicine on my children, too. "'I thought it was far too cold to let them go out.' and i meant to keep them in all winter, because they are very delicate. But if a crippled child can sit outdoors all day, I guess a walk won't do them any harm. The lady went home to try the new remedy, and saw her little ones thrive like plants, for children, too, need plenty of air and sunshine. In our last pages, we said that if people, and children especially, wish to be well, they must get plenty of sunshine as well as plenty of fresh air that reminds me of a funny story i once heard a wise doctor was once called to see a little girl who looked very pale and ill she did not care to run about and play and was so quiet and sad that her mama was greatly troubled about her after some time the doctor found out that the child was all right but that her mother and nurse kept her bundled up so closely and shaded so carefully the sun never had a chance to warm her skin "'He had preached fresh air and sunshine many a time, "'but the mother had not understood what he meant. "'She had sent her little daughter out of doors, "'but sunbonnets, veils, and parasols "'had kept every ray of sun away from the poor little thing. "'There was a beautiful rose bush in the garden, "'which this little girl loved dearly, "'and the doctor, who was such a funny man, "'suddenly proposed to dress that bush up "'in one of her suits of clothes.' The little girl thought this fine fun, although they had considerable trouble getting in all the garments on and around the poor rose bush, which looked very queer all dressed up in its little mistress's garments. When they had finished, the doctor laughed and said, Just let those things stay on the rose bush until I come again. A few days later, when the doctor and the little girl visited the rose bush again, they found it withered and nearly dead. Why, what does this mean? said the doctor. "'making believe to be greatly surprised. "'It means my poor rosebush is dead,' cried the little girl. "'Of course, the poor thing could not live without sunshine.' "'Neither can you,' said the doctor. "'You need sunshine, too, or you will never be strong and happy. "'See, your rosebush pined away after wearing all your clothes only a few days.' "'Both the little girl and her mother then understood what the doctor had been trying to tell them.' After that, the little girl was sent out of doors with no more wraps than other children. The sun was allowed to pour into the nursery where she played, and in summer, she ran along the beach barefooted and bareheaded, and took even more sunbaths than dips into the sea. The result was that she was soon brown and rosy, full of fun and spirits, as hungry as a healthy child should be, and that she played all day and slept all night as hard as she could. Sun and air are so good for everybody that many sick people are now given sun and air baths so as to help them get well. In fact, some people are kept out of doors nearly all the time, especially when they are troubled with weak lungs. And many a weak-lunged person has been quite cured by sleeping in a tent and sitting out of doors all day long in some place where the climate is both cold and dry. It is because sun and air are so good for such people that doctors often send them to live in the Andirondacks or other mountains or out in Colorado where cloudy days are very few. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Enchanted Library. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Enchanted Library. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.